Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. And we will start reading in verse 12 of chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. And then we'll continue on to verse 9 of chapter 6. Starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice had their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives blessing from God, a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Well, last week we considered the real possibility of making a start with God, of knowing something about God, of experiencing Him, but then to come short of entering His eternal rest in the end. And Scripture dwells at some length in this book on the example of the Hebrew nation who followed God out of a physical slavery, who saw his power and his miracles, but who hardened their hearts and failed to enter a physical rest because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. And in chapter 4, we see that the physical rest of the promised land in the Old Testament is not the ultimate eternal spiritual rest. It is a type It is a shadow of the true rest that remains for the church today in Christ. And it says here that if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So we are to encourage one another to be sure that we enter that rest because of this real possibility of failing to continue on in faith with Jesus Christ. And because of that, Scripture has exhorted us both to consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, and to take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you 
an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God? Is the word united by faith in those who hear? As we see in Scripture throughout, there is proof of true conversion. And the proof is continued obedience. The proof is perseverance. We are God's house if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end, it says in chapter 3. It also says in the same chapter, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. And goes on to say in chapter 5 that we are to show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So the proof is in the end. Now this isn't to say that scripture teaches that Christians reach a state of, of perfection in this earth. If you spend time reading and considering the famous hall of faith in chapter 11, you see a mighty list of those who've gained approval by God through faith. But if you consider the lives of Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Gideon, Samson, David, if you look carefully At the record in the Old Testament, you will see men and women who were weak in themselves, but who were looking to God. As in the Gospels, what you see in Hebrews is a call to enter through the narrow gate. The way to the Father was closed under the Old Covenant, but now there is a new and living way for us through the body of Jesus Christ. It is a narrow way. The gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are only a few who find it. Paul to the Corinthians uh, wrote, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. The way is narrow. Most do not win. And we find in Hebrews that it remains for some to enter God's rest. Most are outside the church, but there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It is a narrow way to salvation, and there are few who find it. So we are to be diligent to enter God's rest, to turn away from our own works, to make sure that our faith is not superficial, that we do not fall away from the living God. Scripture lays things out as they really are. It exposes what is inside of us, and puts it in plain view. As the familiar passage in Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In coming to the word of God, we are forced to see our real selves, naked and exposed before the eyes of him with whom we must give account. In chapter 4, verse 13, it says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That phrase there, laid bare, is the word trachelizo, 
trach alizo. It means to take by the neck, to overthrow, to bend back the neck of a victim as to be slain. Scripture is sharp and piercing and lays us open, and it has us in the most vulnerable state before the eyes of God. And what does it reveal about the recipients of the passage that we've just read? Read again, starting in chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The author is speaking to holy brethren. He's writing to professing Christians. But they're underdeveloped. They're stunted in their their growth. By this time... It says they should be mature, they should be developed with all the parts in place, but they're still infants in the faith. They should be instructing others in the fundamentals of Christianity, but they need someone to teach them again, it says, the very basics of God. And the author wants to disclose to them more regarding the mystery of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, that's the context here, but he says their ears were dull. Three times, as we reviewed, Psalm 95 is quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice. The Israelites heard the voice of God. We know this as a fact. It's recorded in chapter 12 of this, of this letter here. They trembled at the voice of God, but nevertheless they hardened their hearts. These professing Christians here couldn't even hear rightly. Their hearing was dull. They were spiritually malnourished. They couldn't handle the message that was to be given to them. They were not strong enough to take it. They were spiritually immature. And this is in striking contrast, I think, to the system that we find in the world today, which is a system that idolizes immaturity. We live in a world that glorifies youth. Youth is the summit of existence, right? And we see this in the way people act, the way people dress, in the prevailing obsession with superficial things, with cosmetic things. But here we find in the word of God, again, a message from heaven. Spiritual immaturity is not a godly attribute. It is not innocence. Spiritual immaturity keeps us from hearing all that God wants us to hear. We have to begin at some point in conversion as newborn babes eating basic spiritual food, taking small bites. A foundation is being laid, as it were. First Peter, we find that like newborn babies, we should long for the pure milk of the word. We should crave the fundamental knowledge of God as it is recorded in Scripture. But that's not the whole verse. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. We take in milk in order that we may grow. Growth is the proof of life, physically 
as well as spiritually. Well, these professing Christians had taken in spiritual milk, but they'd not grown. It sounds like they had made a good start at the beginning. Time had passed, but there was no development. They had even regressed spiritually. In, in verse 11, it says they had become dull of hearing. They had come to need milk and not solid food. It says that they were not accustomed, they weren't used to the word of righteousness. They were not exercising themselves in the things of God. They were not training themselves by the word of God to discern the things of God. So we see that it is not merely that these people were young in their Christian walk. There is a developmental problem here. They were only infants in the faith, but by this time, they should be mature. So you see how scripture has laid them bare to expose them here for what they really are. But it doesn't leave them there. What does it say as we go into chapter 6? Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. They are exhorted here to leave the elementary things about Christ, to move past what they have previously considered, to take in spiritual food that's more solid. They are to leave the elementary teachings about Christ and press on to maturity in Christ. There's only one foundation, and that is Jesus Christ, crucified once for all. No other foundation can be laid. There is no other basis for regeneration, for faith in God, for worship, for resurrection, or for eternal judgment other than Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation for spiritual growth than Jesus Christ. And scripture here refuses to relent on that point. It is not the message of the man who'd say, well, you tried Christianity. It didn't work well for you. Maybe you should develop yourself spiritually in some other system. If we are to grow up spiritually, it is on the foundation already laid in Jesus Christ. And the Hebrews here are encouraged to build on that foundation. May our response to these things be what we see in verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. God willing, we will press on to maturity. You see, here again, the wisdom of the word of God. As soon as we talk about Christian maturity, about Christian growth, the temptation invariably enters in to begin thinking of a works-based salvation, right? What are we doing to conform to the image of Christ? But Scripture here dismisses that entirely. We are not working our way to God. We are not securing our own salvation. And this we will do if God permits. You see, it is, it is the basis of the power of God on that basis. The church, in the end, will attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a mature man, Paul says in Ephesians. 
What does that mean, that word there? Mature, lacking nothing, fully grown, made perfect in Jesus Christ. It is a certainty. So if we are regenerate, at some point we must then begin to walk on our own with the strength that God provides. At some point, the, the training wheels come off. At some point, we get off the side roads and begin driving on the highway. At some point, we leave our parents and we build a home for ourselves. At some point, we stop drinking milk and begin to take solid food for ourselves. Paul said again to the Corinthians that he was speaking wisdom to the mature. See, the things of God mean to drive us on to maturity in him. Do not be children in your thinking, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Do not be children in your thinking. In evil, be infants. So we are not talking about philosophy. We're not talking about learning to know all that we can about everything. In evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. Christ is our our great example in this process of maturity. A major theme of the book of Hebrews is the perfection, the maturity of Jesus Christ, who was without sin. And we touched on this a few weeks ago. Jesus Christ came into the world. He partook of human nature in every way, yet without sin. He exerted trust, exercised faith in his Father. He was matured. He was perfected through his suffering. He was fitted. He was brought to his end, the goal of being the source of our salvation. Let's read on, uh, if you look at Hebrews 5, uh, 8 and 9. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him a source of eternal salvation. Having been made perfect. There, uh, the, the, <clears throat> the word there in the Greek for this verb, it's the same root word as the noun uh, maturity In chapter 6, verse 1, it is the same thing. It is consummation. It is the final stage. It is the finish. It was fitting for him to perfect the author of salvation through sufferings. Again, same root. It was fitting for him to mature the author of salvation through sufferings. Chapter 7, the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Again, mature. Chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Perfect there. It's the mature tabernacle, the real tabernacle, not the earthly tabernacle. So Jesus Christ is our perfect, mature, full, complete salvation. And in the New Covenant, he brings us a full, complete, mature salvation. There is no maturity under the Old Covenant. It can never make the worshiper perfect, mature in conscience. 
So we see scripture exhorts us to spiritual maturity, to grow up, to conform to the image of Christ, to carry on, to press on, not to become sluggish, but to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And this requires us to pay closer attention. Those are the words of Hebrews. To pay closer attention, to take care, to hold fast, to be diligent, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He is our goal and we are running, we are pressing on to become perfect and complete and whole in him. And we need to encourage one another in these things, to stimulate one another on, to press on. Well, what we see as we come to chapter 6 is the strongest possible rebuke against professing Christians who are not spiritually maturing. This passage in chapter 6 is intended to frighten us. It is supposed to bother us. He is speaking this way on purpose because there is no such thing as an immature Christian in heaven. Yes, Hebrews is about mercy and grace from God through Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. But Hebrews is also clear that there are greater warnings under the new covenant than under the old covenant. Chapter 2, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Chapter 12, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less, much less, will we escape who, warn, who turn away from him who warns from heaven? Well, what exactly is the situation for the one who has taken in some milk, who has known something of God, but does not go on with Christ. Let's read again chapter 6, starting in verse 4. He's talking about a particular case. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. This is the case of of a professing Christian who falls away from God. This is someone whose mind had been open to the things of God. There had been reportedly some enlightenment, Perhaps like Balaam, who scripture says was a man whose eyes were opened. This is a person who's had some influence by the Holy Spirit in their heart. He has tasted something of the word of God and the power of God. But such a person, having seen and having tasted something of God, ultimately does not go on and partake of the things of God. 
This person does not mature in Christ, but withdraws ultimately from God. He or she falls away, falls back from God. It is a person who, in the end, slaps God's hand away. It is like a person who, having fallen into a pit, intentionally cuts the rope lowered down to him, cutting himself off from his only salvation. This person is finally and totally lost. And there is no hope of repentance, Scripture says here, just as surely as there is no way for the Son of God to be crucified again. It is the same case given in Second Peter chapter 2 of those who have known some deliverance by a superficial knowledge of Jesus Christ who are again entangled in sin and are overcome in the end. And that last state is worse than the first. It says better not to have known the way of righteousness at all. So if we claim to sit on the foundation of Christ but are not building on Christ, are not maturing, are not growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, beware, lest we fall away from the living God and find out at the end that we were never Christians at all. Is Scripture teaching that a Christian can lose his or her salvation here? Well, this is a difficult passage. But I think in answering that, it's best to let Scripture interpret Scripture. The answer, I think, here is no. Scripture is not teaching that a person can lose his or her salvation. I think this passage is showing just how deceived a person can be by a hard heart and by dull ears. You see, the true nature always shows itself in the end. A dog always returns to its own vomit in the end. What grotesque language, but that is the language of Scripture. A sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. What did Jesus say in chapter 10? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What good is a salvation if we can leave God of our own power? If God has given you to Jesus Christ then there you'll stay, right? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't do anything, let alone come to God. In John 6, Jesus Christ said, No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And we know that draw means to pull, it means to drag, it means to compel. Let's go on in verse 7 of chapter 6. Foreground that drinks the rain which often falls on it 
and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. He's saying the same thing again here. And that is, we have all tasted of the things of God. We have all been given spiritual milk to drink. We are all drinking in the mercy and grace of God in this world. Rain is not occasionally falling. It says here it is often falling on us. And we are taking it in day after day. The outcome of true conversion... That is, the outcome of pressing on to maturity is a harvest to God. And in the end, what do we see? Eternal life, a blessing from God. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, that is, for God's sake, receives a blessing from God. It's talking about eternal life. That is the blessing from God. What is the alternative? That is the outcome of an empty profession. The outcome of the one who does not grow in Jesus Christ, who remains in a state of spiritual infancy, who just tastes God. There's no fruit. It's thorns and thistles. The result is being cursed of God, which is, which is hell. We'll we'll close up here in saying that, that this passage should provide the greatest encouragement to you who are pressing on daily to maturity in Jesus Christ, who are bearing fruit useful to God. Praise God. And this passage should provide the greatest concern possible to those who are not maturing spiritually. Scripture opens our eyes in this word to the most fearful, to the darkest picture here of one who is cursed of God, who is lost. In the end, it ends up being cursed. Verse 8. But then, a ray of light streams in and you see that here we are we are not at the end yet there is still hope today while it is still called today for even the weakest one among us so what does it say in verse 9 But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Let us encourage one another while it is still today to press on to maturity in Christ and to continue 
to enter through the narrow way. Amen.